James Dixon has written this book, The Fix, how the first Champions League, which is 92-93, was won and why we all lost. Uh, it came out, as you listened to this, two days ago, price sixteen ninety nine on pitch. Uh, when did you have the idea? How long do you have to write it? And what happened after you submitted the manuscript? So I've had this idea in my head for about 10 years. Uh, <laughs> it didn't take me 10 years to write, but it's sort of on and off been there in the... Uh, yeah, I was thinking someone should write something about this because the Champions League is such a big part of the development of modern football. And it seems strange to me that there was nothing bespoke about that development. There have been histories, you know, complete histories of the European Cup, looking at you know, the big teams and, and going some ago season by season. But no one's ever kind of drilled down and gone, why did this Champions League happen, happen and what has it brought for good and for ill? Um, but then sort of lockdown, COVID, I was like, stop telling yourself you're going to write a book. If you're not going to write a book when you're furloughed in, 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 in lockdown, you're never going to write a book. So I challenged myself to write the book then. So pitched it to publishers, including Pitch, who picked it up sometime summer 2020, wrote it up until January 2021, the European Super League uh, come, 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 comes along, and thankfully hasn't really hasn't. Obviously, it's not one. It hasn't got the very latest nuggets of kind of what's happened, and even what's happening now still with you know, are Juventus and Real and Barca going to pull out, and are UEFA going to punish them and ban them for not pulling? You know, it's not. Obviously, it's, it's a book. It's not one hundred percent up to date. You know, go to the Athletic if you want that, yeah. but. The conclusion I came to, I'm still very happy with, which that the, 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 the threat of the Super League is overblown and has often been used as a, as a for negotiating leverage to give the clubs more of what they want. And that's actually a sort of cosy place that we sort of ended up in. We still, you know, for all the talk about how wrong it was and the closed shop and all the fan anger and all this kind of stuff, they're getting what they wanted. They're getting more certainty from the Champions League, both in terms of participation, but also in terms of revenue when they're there. They're getting the, the Swiss model. They're getting legacy qualifying, essentially based on historical coefficients. The money is, is slanting towards the bigger clubs. There's really no, there's been no real sanction for them going down this Super League route. Yet. And of course, they don't want to do that now because we are in finals week. Uh, tonight, uh, as you listen to this, the 26th is the Europa League final between, oh my God, I've forgotten who's in it. Man United are in Villarreal. it. And Villarreal. Ah, good evening. Um, well, if Emery wins tonight, uh, that will be an unbelievable win. Uh, and it'll be Ole Solskjaer's first European trophy since the Champions League. If I'm putting my 92 93 hat on, obviously I've got to see you now support United, support the English clubs in Europe, but uh, there's something about uh, Villarreal um, that I've always liked. Um, I don't know, I, I think um, there was a Birmingham player who went there, Luciano Figueroa, uh, who was absolutely rubbish for us, cost a couple of million and never played a game, or maybe played one game, and then went to play for Villarreal in their Champions League season. They knocked out Everton in the qualifying rounds and they, they got all the way to the semi-finals. They nearly ended up in the final against Barca. I have no insight on modern football in terms of who will win, but obviously, you know, 
I want the underdog. You've got to, for me now, European football, and particularly with what the Super happened, Super League, you've got to try and you know back the underdog. And, and you know, Manchester United are in the game; they're, they're very rarely the underdog. Indeed. Well, with that wage bill, Villarreal have Etienne Capoue at the moment, who should be back for the final. And I've enjoyed watching Capoue for the last few years at Watford. Birmingham have played in the UEFA Cup. Did you enjoy that era? Uh, yeah, I mean, Birmingham, we, we, era, era is a bit strong. We, we played one group stage uh, of the Europa League. I think it had been rebranded then after winning the League, the League Cup, Cup in 2011. Yeah, yeah we, I think we had Braga, I think we had Bruges, Maribor of Slovenia, I think, and we came a creditable third. Uh, which meant nothing, uh, and then we've never troubled Europe again. Although our European history is a little bit more complicated because we were involved in the Fairs Cup and got to a Fairs Cup final. Because they did it by cities. And it was was really a Birmingham City team. I think there might have been a few West Brom players, um, but it was essentially a Birmingham City team that went to Barcelona and and lost to Barcelona. We are one of the, the, the teams that are responsible for ending the Anglo-Italian Cup with the, uh, the tunnel brawl that Birmingham and Ancona had in 1995, oh, yeah, where yeah. Uh, even, even a few years later, our players were, they were trying to extradite uh, some of our players to Italy for a long time <laughs> afterwards to get them to face criminal charges for what happened. And then the season after, they decided to sack off the Anglo-Italian Cup. I don't know why. Hmm. Uh, John Berry wrote about this in his book, Hugging Strangers. I have ticked off Birmingham uh, in my quest to read the 92. Uh, It's very difficult to find some of the uh, lesser professional teams, but I have put a call out in a magazine called Our Football League, uh, which should come out. And I wrote the piece before was about Watford. And of course, Watford are not... A, uh, an EFL team anymore so no more trips to St Andrews to see either Coventry or Birmingham here's a fun question for you snog, marry, avoid Bernard Tapie, Silvio Berlusconi Florentino Perez oh Perez is an avoid he has no charm and, and yeah there's, there's, there's nothing there with Perez he's a, he's a creep and a snake I really like Tapie I shouldn't, but I do. And there's, there's something about him. And the thing, the thing, I mean, Berlusconi and Tappy, they're very similar in terms that they came, you know, both came from media backgrounds, became very, very successful, obviously invested in sports teams. Uh, both came up on the left of politics, although uh, at least Berlusconi moved more rightwards. Tappy is an avow, is vehemently anti-racist. And he was one of the few people in the 90s in, in French politics who was willing to take on Jean-Marie Le Pen. And there's some fantastic, you know, he, he debated them head to head. He went to uh, Front National rallies and called them out for their bigotry and their racism. He was, uh, he had great relationships with uh, black players at Marseille, notably Basil Bolly. Uh, very strong relationships with him. You know, he wasn't the captain, but he was sort of the leader uh, of, of, of that team, that club. And yeah, he's a rogue and he tried to cheat and all that kind of stuff. But there is still something likeable about Bernard Tappi. So Bernard Tappi's my marrying. I guess uh, Silvio Bellasoni's my snog and will avoid Perez. Very good. And it, I appreciate that it's a tough question. Berlusconi is the one, as you say, um, because Napoli drew... Oh gosh, who did you say Napoli drew? Barcelona or Milan? Real, Real, Real Madrid. Real, Real, Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Um, and it was that that 
prompted him to call on UEFA to turn it into not a knockout, but a group. Uh, so it's Berlusconi who's the father of what we've got now. Uh, yeah, maybe the, maybe, maybe the midwife. Of yeah. <laughs> Berlusconi has lots of, uh, lo- lots of things that he's uh, fathered around the place that he doesn't fully get credit for. But uh, yeah, so he, he comes up with the idea for, for a Super League. He calls, it, he calls the European Cup outdated and economic nonsense, basically. Uh, he's very upset about the, the Milan-Napoli thing. And, you know, with, with some justification, Diego Maradona, the greatest, you know, one of, you know, a candidate for the greatest player of all time, who spent the majority of his career in Europe, played in the European Cup only five times. You know, Paul Gascoigne, never. Lineker, never. Oh, no, Paul Gascoigne did with Rangers later on. But Lineker, never. You know, there's, there's, there's huge players in the history of football who never played European Cup football. Pelé? Because of the way that the tournament... Well, Pelé, yes, but he never played for a European club. Yeah. So, you know, all of Lineker's time at, at Everton and, you know, for, and, and Tottenham and Barcelona, for various reasons, he doesn't actually play in the European Cup. Berlusconi's idea was to create a league. He commissioned... Um, you know, marketing consultants and management consultants from Saatchi and Saatchi to come up with the idea of how it might work. And, uh, and it's sort of a compromise between Berlusconi, between UEFA, and it was a compromise offered actually by Rangers chairman, uh, where they, it wouldn't be a league or a cup. They'd have this hybrid of some knockout and some league and some group play. And that's, and that's what we ended up with for, for three years between... Uh, 92 and 94. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, one of the books that I read when I was younger was Alex Ferguson's book, A Year in the Life, which uh, included a bit where he calls Peter Schmeichel into his office and said, look, I've got to play Hughes, I've got to play Giggs, I've got to play, I think it was Cantona. And so we're going to play Gary Walsh instead. Yep, and that's Gary Walsh's lasting contribution to football, tanking four against Barcelona. But again, that was before I really appreciated football. I caught up on it. Uh, but football in 1992 uh, is very foreign to me, and yet the legacy fans who are 40s and 50s will have enjoyed that season, which is now creeping into the past. Uh, when was the blow em out the water moment? In the when was the point of no return, where in the way that Alan Sugar broke the dominance of the FA and uh, the Premier League superseded it, when did the clubs association? Uh, supersede UEFA? I, I'm not a purist, which will annoy some people. There are some people who say the European Cup should be champions only, should be straight knockout, it should never be anything like that. I don't agree. I think the high point of European football was the early years of the Champions League because you got the, the group stage and you got to see more teams play against each other I even didn't mind some runners up coming in you know United when they win it in 99 they're runners up Arsenal won the double in 98 uh, I think Bayern might have even been runners up in 98 as well in German League so I didn't mind that and I know some people will, will have a problem with me for that but I think that's fine the problem comes when you start getting third and fourth place teams, which start, which comes in 99-2000, you get the change of format, which has the second group stage. So instead, in the old European Cup, to win the European Cup, you have to play nine matches. You have to have four two-legged ties and win the final. When they bring in the second group stage, 
you have to play 12 matches just to get to a quarter final so then you, you're talking about 17 matches before you before you win and that's if you start in the group stage the, obviously the qualifying rounds as well so it's around the turn of the millennium when you're getting those third and fourth place teams coming in and then you get the situation about 10 years later it's stuck you know those teams you know the third team from Spain and the third team from England they stopped making them even qualify because that was becoming a little bit too fraught because occasionally one of them wouldn't make it in a two-legged game and so you've got the situation with the Champions League now where 26 of the 32 places are predetermined before the start of the season and you've got most of the continent fighting it out for just four places for European league winners. And that is, it just goes against the whole spirit of the competition, which was founded in the 50s to find out who was the best. And the premise was that we don't know. These are all league champions. Any one of them could be the best. Let's have a tournament to find out. Everyone started at the same point and they, you know, like a proper cup and they just worked their way in and whoever was stood at the end of it normally Real Madrid they were said that we said they were the best and everyone was fine with it except the really big clubs who go this tournament now isn't just about finding out who the best is it's about giving us income and that's where the greed comes in I've just looked at La Liga table Villarreal cannot finish above fifth place if they win tonight as we listen to it they will qualify for the Champions League along with Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Sevilla for guaranteed places. Manchester United have already qualified for the Champions League. Do you know if Manchester United win, if Villarreal advance to the Champions League anyway? I don't believe they do. It's only for the Europa League winner okay. that goes into the Champions League. And I'm not sure. I think it might be five. I think five's OK. Five's yeah, right. I think there was, there was a potential situation that if... Chelsea and Ma- Chelsea and Manchester United both won the Champions League and the Europa League, and depending on where Chelsea finished, which we don't know when we're recording this, there was a potential situation that, that the fourth place team in England might have to miss out because you can't have six teams from one association in the current Champions League. Obviously, that's going to be changing uh, going going forward as well. But um, yeah, uh, I don't. Th- you know, I think it's Villarreal's route into the Champions League, so let's root for them. Absolutely. And you, you have to root for this guy, Unai Emery, because he's won it, I think, four times now and reached about six, seven finals. Um, terrible to transcribe. I used to work for a European football organisation. I'm not going to tell you which one, uh, but sometimes I would have to transcribe what he was saying, just three or four of them. And having to uh, listen, albeit it's his third language, but all the same, um, which makes me think... Has there been an English coach who's won the Champions League? Oh, I mean, yeah, sorry, in the, in, in the European... Yeah, Cup, European Cup, but not Champions and League and, era, right? No, yeah, and you've got... Yeah, I mean, I'm a, uh, a Birmingham fan, but it'd be, it'd be churlish not to acknowledge Tony Barton. Correct, um, yes. Which is really Ron Saunders' team, but Ron Saunders fell out with the Villa management, came to Birmingham and left them while they were in the quarterfinal, I think. Hey. Left them when they were in Dynamo Kiev or something. Someone's uh, written a book so about it. Richard Sydenham is going to tell it? us all about that season of the Villa. You, you won't listen to it because it's the Villa. But uh, everyone who isn't I, uh, a blue-nosed Brumet uh, will listen to my chat with him uh, coming soon. Uh, do you hope that with this kind of bloated Champions League, 
we might see an English coach winning it. I mean, hope springs eternal, but it's not. Uh, it's it's not one of my, uh, my one of my top priorities. I'd much rather see some some more genuine sort of competition from from sort of mid mid sized leagues. I was I was very behind the Ajax team. Um, when they got to the semi-final against Spurs, obviously a great, great semi-final. But you know, I don't know, you know, why at that time the English press was shocked that a team that had knocked out uh, Juventus and had gone, you know, done really well against Real Madrid was, some, you know, was able to give Tottenham a game. You know, it, it wasn't shocking to me. So mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I'd like to see, you know, some of these sort of, I guess, what the Super League would call sort of legacy clubs uh, have a bit of a resurgence, and, and you know. And see whether the Benficas and the Ajaxes and uh, of this world can do well. Well, and that includes Glasgow Rangers or Newco, as Celtic fans listening will call them, uh, because thirty years yeah. on, finally the stronghold of the hoops has been broken by Rangers uh, with a guy who may or may not be Liverpool's next manager. It is great that fans around the world will get to see Glasgow Rangers play in the tournament. I presume, oh, do they have to qualify next year or do they go straight in as winners of the SPL? I think, this, I mean, the Scottish um, coefficient has really, really suffered because of what happened to Rangers. And actually, ironically, Rangers' weakness has made Celtic's success in Europe a lot harder because there wasn't another sort of big club there racking up coefficient points for a long time. Uh, I think Scotland are on the right trajectory, but whether they get there next year, I don't know. Uh, they might have to enter in the third or, or the second round yeah. of qualifying. Yeah, like- they shouldn't have to start the first round, though, which Celtic have had to do for the, for the last few years, uh, which is really a tough ask because the first, you know, in the first round of qualifying, you've got to go through four more rounds because you go you go first, second, and third, and I think UEFA just got embarrassed. They didn't want to name it the fourth qualifying round. They euphemistically call it the playoff. Yeah, the round. winners playoffs. Now, yeah. I mean, for hopefully, and finger, fingers crossed for them. I mean, they've been very good value. They were good value in the Europa League this year, although they lost to Slavia Prague with that horrible racist incident as well. Which, um, but yeah, but I, I think they're I think they're well set up for a, for a European challenge. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily think they're going to go goes deep in the tournament as ninety two ninety three, but I think they can surprise some people. And if they get to the group stage, I, I'd expect them to at least be dropping down into the Europa League. And the hilarity will be that Steven Gerrard will lead a Champions League team and the team that he won the Champions League with won't be in the Champions League. That's a lot of Champions Leagues no, in that sentence. Uh, before, I mean, they, they could be in the Conference League, whatever that is. Yeah, that's going to be... After the Euro, uh, which England won't win, uh, we'll all get to learn about the Conference League and its glories. Thursday night. It is the Thursday night Channel 5 League. And yeah, I, I don't Thursday even know night, which English team qualifies for it. Is it Liverpool? Could be Arsenal. At the moment, I think it's going to be... I saw saw a story today. It's going to be one of Chelsea, West Ham... Well, we will have found out now because the Premier League season, as you listen to this, is finished. Uh, This goes out on the 26th of May, 28 years to the day that Bernard Tapie's Marseille beat Silvio Berlusconi's Milan. Can you just, in 30 seconds, for those who are unaware, uh, describe exactly what Bernard Tapie did to fix the Champions League? He uh, gave some players some, some. Well, this is important. Actually, a very important point. He didn't fix the Champions League, which is why UEFA never have stripped Marseille of the title. He fixed the game before the Champions League in Ligue 1 uh, against Valenciennes. One of his players, Jean-Jacques Adelie, who I interviewed for the book, 
to uh, and former Warsaw player as well, you know, proper glamour club that one. Yeah. Uh, he, he got him to speak to reach out to some players he used to play with and approach them about taking it easy on Marseille uh, because of the upcoming European Champions League final, uh, how important that would be for the. Uh, for France and Marseille to win this and just in case they were any in any doubt there were bags of cash as well involved uh-huh. Thank you very much for that I'm sure you will talk about that at length at another interview uh, to promote this book The Fix it remind, that reminds me that this season we have a squad game in those days you had like 16, 17 players so you couldn't rest there was no concept of the rest day uh, so before we ask about the subtitle to the book You've written a book under lockdown conditions. Are you going to write another one? I'm already working on one. Hooray! But it's not going to be football. Can you give it's us a hint? It's going to be rugby. Oh, rugby! Yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to it's going to look at the history of the Rugby World Cup as told through either ten or fifteen of its most important matches. Ooh. I want to do ten because it's less work. But something about rugby union and fifteen. It's got to be fifteen. Cards, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's, it's 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 harder to cut down, obviously, if it's ten. But I've started I've started working on that again. It's something that there's you know there's not a good history of, particularly the early amateur era. And it's it's a tournament that's changed it's changed a lot since 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, uh, hopefully people like that one too. I I will read that. I really enjoyed Invictus, uh, which was of course the first professional rugby world cup or it was just tipping into professionalism and that was the jonah lomu world cup yeah and certainly two of the strong contenders to be featured in the book of the semi-final england new zealand which is the lomu game where he runs over mike cat scores four tries and then that final which is pretty much what the invictus film is all about Mm -hmm. with uh pinar and mandela standing in uh, ellis park at at the end sort of bringing the rainbow nation together yeah um yeah and then of course Japan under Eddie Jones. Uh, he drops for World Cup glory, uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it, it would be it'd be churlish not to write about England's one success, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the 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 one that potentially most interests me at the moment is is Western Samoa beating Wales in 1991, the first real upset in the World Cup, uh, because they weren't invited to the 1987 World Cup because it was a bit of a, a you know. It was quite clubby, the mm. 87 World Cup. In 91, they instigated get proper qualifying. Samoa get in. They beat Wales in Cardiff Arms Park. Um, and, yeah, they, was, and they, get on, they get to beat. They lose in the quarterfinals to Scotland. They make the quarterfinals again in 95, losing to South Africa. And then you start to see the drain of players away from Which is Samoa so sad. So sad. Yeah. And if people haven't watched it, I mean, there's a great documentary about Samoan and Polynesian rugby on Amazon Prime at the moment called Oceans Apart by Daniel Leo. It's absolutely worth a, worth a watch if you, if you have any interest in rugby. And uh, when will that be published? Is it another pitch book? TBD. Okay. Uh, both, on, both, both on publisher and uh, when it will be published, but probably before the next World Cup in 2023. Yeah, so you've got loads of time. You've got two years. And the final question... Uh, about your book, The Fix, how the first Champions League was won and why we all lost. When I was running my book that I'm not allowed, I'm not letting myself plug, I came up with a concept of Generation Live on Sky Sports or Generation Loss because so much is lost 
in the modern game. Obviously not at amateur or community run level. So what did we all lose as a result of that 92-3 to Champions League? We all lost the opportunity for us to believe, wherever we were across Europe, that one day our club would rub shoulders with the big clubs. We we lost the chance to dream. Essentially, we lost that hope, and it's it's not just about the the, the match fixing that went on. You know, as as, as 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 that shouldn't have happened, obviously. But the real fix is what's happened with the tournament and how the tournament has become less open, and it's got further and further away from the ideal of finding out who is the best and giving everyone a chance a legitimate and equal chance to pitch their case to be the best team. Um, and I think it's uh, you know it's not just the Champions League because there's obviously economic forces at play here as well which help create this. Um, and, and the forces that created the Champions League are some of the same forces that created the Premier League and all that sort of stuff. We lose that hope and we lose that bit which is so important as football fans to think that one day... Now it's Nottingham Forest, or now it's Aston Villa, or now it's Leeds, but one day it might be us. And unless you're a club, uh, you know, a fan of one of six teams, you can't feel like that. I can't tell if that's a dog or a child in the background agreeing with you. No, it's a dog. It's so... Would be, this is a puppy, and before, when we arranged to do this interview, I did not have this puppy. And I wow. suddenly got... Uh, very agitated in the last minute or so, and I can only apologise. No, for it, that I think it's because of the pitch you. of your voice, the vehemence of your argument <laughs> has stirred the puppy. What breed into action? A golden doodle. Oh, fantastic! Very, very good. And are you going to take it uh, on walkies through the fields of Nottinghamshire? She's she's had a walk today, but I guess we might be going on a second one by the by the sound of that. I think uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to assure people that's it. That's that's not a child I'm mistreating in the background. That's partly why I asked, because far be it from... <laughs> I don't want... <laughs> if you buy the book The Fix, which is priced at sixteen ninety nine via pitch, although you can get it on that bookstore that sells everything, uh, which is out now, you will be able to feed this puppy. Maybe even buy it a toy. Uh, will it be <laughs> like a rubber foam big-eared cup? Uh, i tell you what, I, should pro- I could give her one of the... Um got a stack of programs from the 92-93 season I don't need anymore I could just give her one of them to chew she'd love it and just like tearing through um, Mikhailichenko's face or something (laughs) (laughs) by the time that dog grows up uh, you will have written your second book does it have a title yet? God no